Hey there, and welcome back to Culture and the Cross, where we look at relevant cultural topics through the lens of the cross to better understand how followers of Christ should react, believe, and feel about the world around them. Today, I'm excited to be sitting down with a couple of my friends to talk about a topic that, though it seems to have been overtaken by other news and the media, is still a real issue that Christians in America and even around the world need to still be talking about. It's the issue of racism, of racial tension in our country. I hope you'll stick around for our very first real episode of Culture on the Cross. I know I'm excited and my guests that will be on a little bit later are as well. I'm Nick Clay and this is Culture and the Cross. On May 25th of this year, George Floyd was killed in police custody after a Minneapolis police officer knelt on the man's neck for eight minutes. During that time, Floyd lost consciousness and later died as a result of the officer's actions. Across the nation, Americans began to show their outrage and protests that consumed the news cycle for months. Images of people young and old of every color and creed protesting and marching in the street flashed across televisions and news feeds. As a summer that was already plagued by a global pandemic continued to unravel, so did this nation's cities. Peaceful marches turned into violent protests as angered citizens lit fires and broke windows in major cities from coast to coast. A country that was, at least for a moment, united behind a plea for accountability, spiraled into a more commonly known division. As groups of citizens began to voice their criticism of protests that led to destruction and violence, other groups of citizens responded that the destruction was an unfortunate byproduct of a movement that was necessary if African Americans were to ever receive the equality they deserved. As the year marched on, reports of new police killings were filed, tensions grew, and divisions deepened. However, it seemed that the issue was left unresolved. The election cycle began to heat up as we inched closer to the election day. COVID trends began to rise slightly across the nation. Days passed and new news overtook the stories of racial tension. While some may find this sweeping under the rug comfortable, I fear we've simply hit pause on an issue that will undoubtedly return to public eye. It's important for us to continue this conversation and strive to reach a solution to the issue of racism in America. I'm not naive enough to believe that this one conversation will produce a solution. However, I do believe that when communities of faithful Christians continue to discuss and toil with the issue of racism, we will, one day, reach a place of unity. A place where we, as a people, the human race, can finally respect the finality of the cross. Where we finally respect the powerful truth of the death of a man who was also God. A death that made all mankind as one, that broke down the barrier that divided Jew from Gentile, that made black nor white, man nor woman, no longer strangers or aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. 
a death that made all into one new mankind, establishing peace and putting to death enmity, once and once for all. Today, I'm joined by my two friends, Michael Salas and Josh Williams, who are the creative minds behind a new audio drama titled The Miseducation of John Mark. The story takes place in an urban American city just after an unarmed black man, Devon Watson, is killed by a local police officer. Rising out of the clamor of protests and destructions is an unassuming activist named John Mark, whose mission is to unite his divided city and stop both sides from descending into chaos. If you haven't yet listened to The Miseducation of John Mark, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. You can also learn more by visiting whoisjohnmark.com. Now here's my conversation with Josh Williams and Michael Salas, the producers of The Miseducation of John Mark. Well, I am here with Josh and Michael. Uh, Josh, Michael, I want you guys to introduce yourselves. Tell us what you do. Who are you? Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm Josh. I am a podcaster, filmmaker, musician, and I am the creator of Miseducation of John Mark, one of the writers and also the main editor of the show. And uh, hey, everyone. I'm Michael R. Salas. I am a filmmaker, writer, uh, creative at large. <laughs> um, and I worked as one of the um, writers on The Miseducation of John Mark, in addition to creative consulting throughout yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I joked with these guys beforehand. I, I said something like, I don't know exactly what you guys do. It seems like you do everything, but <laughs> that is, that is what they do in relation to uh, the podcast we're talking about today, the audio drama, the miseducation of John Mark. So Josh, start, start, it off, start us off. Talk to me about the inspiration behind this, this audio drama. Where did it come from? Yeah. So it came actually probably about four to five years ago. Um, it actually came from a series of sad events, I would say it was uh, during the time of a lot of different police shootings that were going on, kind of just back to back, um, like Philando Castile, uh, I think Tamir Rice was during that time as well, just different young African American men that were being, um, you know, just in these situations with police. And what really struck me was the response I was seeing from people on my social media, like, you know, these guys deserve to die, essentially what it boils down to, like, you know, they if they had just you know, done insert XYZ scenario, they would have walked away. And I was like, a human being just died. You know, like that's, it, it really struck a chord with me. And so I, then I came up with this idea in the back of my head for this character named John Mark, who would kind to be in these different situations of different people from political spheres and kind of help them walk a balance because I've seen the extreme of the right, like, really going off on the extreme of the right. And then I've seen the extreme of the left where it's like, you know, abolish all police, all police are bad, you know, this, this, and that. And so I wanted a character that would kind of walk in between in the middle where I believe, um, you know, we should walk as far as like how we view things, you know, a character that was kind of based off of Jesus in a sense, like the Beatitudes um, based off of Proverbs, someone that could enter the conversation from a balanced perspective and ultimately point people like to reconciliation because I feel like when we go off on different extremes, we can't really reconcile with each other because we refuse to acknowledge any sort of common ground or any sort of, of, you know, maybe I'm wrong about this part and maybe you're right about that part. 
you know, mm-hmm. any sort any sort of reconciliation can happen. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where the idea for John Mark and he kind of just stayed as a character in my head. And then I came up with the other characters that were in the series. And then this year, I really felt led to finally write the show. And um, it was kind of just this like avalanche of I got a writer's room together. We started writing. We would write things. Things would start happening that we saw that we wrote were like, you know, things that we thought were like these outlandish scenarios, but what happened and it's like, okay, I definitely feel like this is the time for this story. Um, And so that's kind of where this, you know, the story came from. It came from initially frustration. And then it also came from a place of how can I show people, you know, how we can walk through this together as a United States of America. Yeah. Wow, you've 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 talked about so much there and and gone into so much detail. I don't, I'm not exactly sure where to start, but I want to start. Uh, let's start broad, and then we'll work our way in. So, talk to me okay. about John Mark. Uh, who is he? What does he stand for? I know you kind of answered that, but but just go into a little more detail about who John Mark is. Yeah, so I don't want to spoil it too much from the series, but um, I would say John Mark is this kind of average guy that kind of finds his town in utter uh, turmoil. At Because at, in the story, at the beginning of the story, there's this police shooting that has already happened. And the town is basically, there's a protest going on. And then counter protesters show up that are saying, you know, back the police. They're saying, like, lock the cop up, essentially. And so then there's this almost tension and clash between the two of them. And then suddenly, right when things are about to go bonkers, John Mark shows up and it's like, hey, guys, we have to come together. We have to acknowledge that there are issues, but we also need to work through those issues together and listen to one another. Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, John Mark kind of is this kind of unknown character. He's really just this guy that kind of floats around. He's like a, you know, a coffee barista. He does just does odd things. But ultimately, he's a guy that has a heart. Um, He's following after Christ and he's trying to show people how they can live that out practically. Um, in this situation that the town is in. And so throughout the series, his view of walking the middle ground gets challenged from different people on different spheres of the political platforms on either side. And so for him, to answer your question, he is a character that is trying to follow after Christ. And he's kind of an archetype. He's not exactly a, you know, a verbatim archetype for Christ, but like he's kind of someone that's kind of trying to strive after that. Yeah, yeah. If I could hop in there too. um, Yes, please. John Mark is very much Josh's character, but um, <laughs> coming from an outside perspective, I would describe him as an ordinary man in an extraordinary circumstance. He's, he's a peacemaker. He's the person who, who bridges the gaps. Mm-hmm. He, he does see his town in, in turmoil and chaos, and he is, he's working towards showing people how to walk out change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling a friend about the podcast after I started listening to it and, and I kind of described it as, and I hope this doesn't offend you, but, but kind of weird because of how utopian John Mark seems. It's like he is the, the perfect uh, person that we would love to see in the middle of, of this <laughs> upheaval. I, I remember when uh, there were some riots down in Virginia beach and, and I was actually sitting in bed and watching like a Facebook live of somebody who was there. And I was just like, man, I wish there was somebody there who, 
who could do what the do what is right, you know, be a John Mark. And so I, that's why I love the character. You said earlier, he walks the balance. And that's, that's, a, I think that's the perfect way to, to describe him. I love that. But how can we, or where can we find someone like John Mark in culture today? Is there someone we can point to uh, and say, you know, they're, they're doing that good work. Um, they are a, a peacemaker. They are someone who walks the balance. Who can we um, kind of look up to in, in real life today? Mm, that is a very good question. I think it depends on, honestly, it honestly kind of depends on what side of the political aspect you're on, to mm. be honest with you, because some people I feel like are doing that, they're calling them a leftist or they're on the extreme. And so mm. it's really, it's really, it's really kind of difficult to find like your modern day MLK because of how opinionated i'm on this side of the fence everyone's become like it's kind of hard to point to someone unanimously that exemplifies this but i'll give i'll give someone that i look up to um he's someone local here his name is nigel um his stage name is legend he is a local christian hip-hop artist and he actually just did a project that kind of talks about walking the middle ground and mm -hmm. he helped organize a march um in norfolk downtown norfolk a prayer march that was specifically um, in response to uh, the different racial tensions that were going on. And it was a call for prayer. It was a call for peace. It was a call for um, just people being reconciled with one another. And so on the local level, that's someone personally I can point to as someone that's done that. I also really look up to Lecrae. Um, I think he's people have had some controversial things they've said about him. Um, but I really feel like his heart is in the right place of wanting to uh, acknowledge that there are problems, but he's actually also practically going into these communities and working out practically um, how to help solve the underlying issues of that are, you know, poverty and just different other issues that are surrounding, you know, yeah. other parts of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of thought that would be your answer. Uh, because I, as I was listening to it, I was like, you know, who who, who is this in, in real life? You know, who is this based? And it's, it's not based off of anybody. It's based off of Christ. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I like that. Um, so this kind of leads into to my next question, but um, I, I guess I should have prefaced this earlier. This is a podcast for Christians. Uh, it's called Culture in the Cross. We look at relevant topics in culture and, and try to look at it through the lens of the cross. Uh, so how can a faithful Christian uh, walk that balance? How can they support the police and persons of color? How can we make peace on both sides and, and love our brothers and sisters on both sides, uh, regardless of your political opinion, regardless of who you voted for on election day? How can we continue to love and, and show support uh, for those peoples? Well, I think if I can hop in on this one. Please. The, the, I think the first and most important thing to remember is that God's in control, ultimately. Mm. And once we are grounded in that assurance, then all, all the worries and concerns of the world, of society, they, while, are, while they're still important, they become less all-encompassing, mm. I guess you can say. And then after first remembering that God is in control of everything, uh, the next step, I would say, is just listen, just listen to what people are saying don't immediately either lash out or or spew forth your opinions just take time to to reflect on all different perspectives that constantly bombard us yeah and 
try to think biblically about whatever given situation is is going on. Right. And to hop in on that, I mean, I think one thing that comes to mind to me is, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. I think putting that, putting that in the lens, I kind of feel like alleviates a lot of problems. Now, granted, I'm talking from a Christian perspective because the world is going to do what the world does. So like, but as Christians, if we put love your neighbor as yourself in the forefront, like, I'll give an example. So uh, let's say Philando Castile's death. Basically what happened was he was in this car with his girlfriend and his child in the back. Police officer thought that he had a gun or thought that he had a gun on him or was going to use his gun. Sorry. Cause he had told the officer, Hey, I have a, I'm, you know, I have a gun or I'm licensed. Yeah. And he and the officer just flipped out, ended up shooting him about, I think it was like five or six times in a very, close proximity and his wife i mean his girlfriend was in the car and his daughter was in the back um if we approach love your neighbor as yourself if philando was my brother i would be sad you know i would be there would be an empathy there like okay i understand he didn't really do anything wrong he told the officer he had it he didn't point it at him he didn't take it out suddenly use it on him so in this case you know he's technically a victim Um, but that doesn't, that shouldn't dictate your view of police force though. Like, okay, Mm. this one cop here did this behavior that was wrong. Okay. I can say that is wrong. I still support police because we know that most police, well, some would probably argue that, but I would say a good majority of police officers are trying to do the right thing. Mm. Um, it just may be training or may just be scenarios where the behaviors are different. So I would say like, for me, it's like approaching, you know, I have to love people as I would love myself and see and empathize with people. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit, but no, you're good. I don't know if that makes any sense, but like yeah. just coming at it from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, also it, it has to come down to accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we love our brothers, if we love our sisters, we have to hold them accountable. You know, right. as a pastor, I, I, I think about times when I've had to hold people accountable for, for what they've done or, or the, the actions they've chosen to make. And if I did not do that, I wouldn't be loving my brother or sister. Mm. There's, a, there's a quote from your podcast in, in episode two, and it comes from the mayor. And he says, I believe every officer from cadet to chief has a job to do in this city. Yeah. And if any officer in this city ever falls short of his responsibility, you have my solemn oath as mayor, I will hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about that line. You oh guys are man, smiling and ooh, laughing ooh. right now. Yeah, it's 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 because you know it's interesting because the mayor probably does not believe what he's saying at all, but uh-huh. he's just saying that to calm people down temporarily. Yeah. Because I think a really thing I believe, and I'm obviously not speaking for the entire black community here, but the biggest thing we've seen is where is the accountability? I'm quoting Kai now, but where is the yeah. accountability? Like. You know, you've got these situations where people are using, I, w- I would classify as excessive force, five or six bullets at close range. That seems a little bit unnecessary to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it was using a black man or not, like anyone, like, especially if they weren't actually committing a crime. And so, you know, that, that I think is the main thing we've been, you know, we've been asking for is like, where's the accountability for that? Like, yeah. we're saying that that is okay. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying all police are bad, but this type of behavior, that's 
our good fine police officers that's our standard yeah. like i i believe i like 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 i believe that our police force can be this but i think if we don't call out these type of behaviors and say hey we don't support that that's not the type of training that we support we're actually here to protect our communities and mm-hmm. i feel like if more chiefs and more mayors and more people came out and said that the people would calm down yeah. but we haven't seen a lot of that, a lot of it's been people playing politics, people playing, um, you know, different political games, and they haven't really come out and said, but like, if the police are here to serve and to protect, then they serve the community, you know, they mm. serve the people. And, you know, whether they were, you know, committing a crime or not, like, they still are held accountable to the law. That's why we have the, you know, the justice system. That's why we have the courts. That's why we have, you know, prisons and jails. Like, if they are truly doing these things, they need to be, you know, held accountable to the law, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and I think that that goes back to, to what I said and what you said. If we can't, you know, we can't love our police officers. We can't love our black brothers and sisters if we don't say, if we don't speak out when there has been wrongdoing. Right. Um, in kind of the intro that the listeners heard before this, you guys didn't hear. I talked about this time uh, where I noticed that, you know, when George Floyd was was killed and he kind of started this um, his, his death sparked this move, uh, not even a movement, a reawakening. Yeah. Uh, Cause it, it's, it's, it's happened. And then we kind of forget about it and then it's reawakened again, but, but his death started this reawakening. And I think for a, a split moment, uh, Americans on, on either side of the aisle, depending, n- not depending on your color, but your age, we were all in agreement that the, that the police officers needed to be hold, held accountable. Right. Uh, no matter what had happened, that was not okay. And it was only like that for a split second. And then all of a sudden, when protests start and, and things move in a direction that's different than we think should right. happen, it's all of a sudden we're, di- we're divided again. You know, that's, the, yeah. that's the common, that's the default, I feel like, yeah. for society is to be divided. Absolutely. But for a split second, we, we all agreed there needed to be accountability. So how can we, or can we as Christians, support um, destruction, destructive protests. I know this is going to be controversial uh, mm-hmm. to, to me, to people who are listening. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping for. Because right. if we have, if we have African Americans listening, they may have a different uh, opinion than those Correct. who are white, who are listening to this, but how can we as Christians approach protests that, that do turn uh, destructive and violent? Right. I think it's something we kind of addressed in the first two episodes of like, Hey, this destroying businesses, destroying, um, you know, local shops, that's not okay. That's only a detriment to different communities. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, black people are the only ones doing that. I'm not going to say that either. Cause we've seen clips of, you know, you know, if you got white oh, yeah. young white kids raiding target yeah. and stuff like, so like, it's not just, you know, black people, but regardless of who's doing it, it's wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Just say that right now. It's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that you shouldn't also say that, you know, all protests are destructive, you know, don't jump to the other extreme because I was looking at a statistic and actually a good majority of protests are peaceful. And a lot of the ones that turn violent are ones with heavy police force, or mm-hmm. if it's like in different, you know, like your Portland, your, your, your really like high tension cities already. Um, yeah. So, you know, look up those statistics too. Don't just go off of like, you know, one or two or three. Um, but yeah, there are destructive protests. And the one thing we brought up in two was like, okay, this is not going to bring back uh, in our story, the name of the character, man, I lost my train of thought what his name was, but in our story, the the character that gets killed, um, Devon Watson. Yeah. Devon Watson. Thank you. Uh, We bring up that, you know, it's not going to bring him back. Like 
destroying this property, destroying cars, fighting is not going to bring back this man, um, you know, from 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 death. And so we have to really work with our local law enforcement, work with our um, you know local uh, city council on ways to improve the um, the relationship between the communities. Because if there's distrust, there's it's super hard to build relationships. Yeah. Like I remember, I um, I think in 2015 I went to see a, a local. I don't know if he was a sergeant or he was uh, someone. I knew uh, her husband. I went to talk with him because I was like, what's going on? Like, like there's so much tension here. This is like 2015, 2016. Um, and he was talking about how they were doing like coffee with the cop and just different things to show that, hey, we're in the community and we care. Like, mm. you know, we're not just, I think the Norfolk police chief, uh, he really showed that. He was at one of the protests and it's like, hey, I'm standing with you guys. Like I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I understand why you're upset. Um, I think it's, I think it's really recognizing one that there are problems. I like, I, Hey, I recognize this. This is an issue. You guys care about yeah. this. Yeah. I understand the way you guys are approaching it. I don't believe in that because it's destructive. Let's I'm going to work with you on productive mm. solutions on how we can solve that. Cause a lot of people are not even recognizing there's an issue to begin with. They're just like, Oh, yeah. they're out here protesting. They're out here destroying buildings. But why are they doing that? Yeah. If you can't even acknowledge that, then there's never going to be any type of reconciliation at mm. all. That's so good. Michael, did you want to jump in there? I, I saw you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there are so many things. We hit so many points. Um, the, the police are a necessary civic institution. But when we, when we give people the, really the, the ability to decide life and death, like they're, they're given they're granted the license to kill. They have to be held to the highest of standards. Mm. And I, I try to fathom because I don't understand why we would want any less than that. We mm. need accountability in the highest order there. Yeah. And yeah. yeah it's, but yeah, it also is very much just, we have to first be able to acknowledge that there is an issue and there is a problem. And so often it seems at least on social media, people invalidate the protest based on the worst actors and the worst elements in it. Mm -hmm. And Josh was mentioning a statistic earlier. I don't have the receipts on it right now. So I, I'll see if I can find a, a link to the actual study. But uh, over the summer, there was in fact a study and I can't remember if it was 97 or 99%. Of yeah, I think it was around 97 or 98 Yes. It, within, within that range of all the protests in the nation this year, they were, in fact, peaceful and nonviolent. That yeah. is massive proportion. Yeah. Uh, but typically, all you hear about, because it makes for exciting news, quote unquote, mm. right. the, the, the worst elements, the worst actors, the worst events. And, and just one thing is getting a proper appreciation of the, the the scope this is i think the largest civil rights movement since the 1960s going on in the country right now uh but just based off of your average cable news uh steady 24 news cycle media diet you would think the entire nation is going up in flames yeah so just yeah you're taking a step back and being able to yeah 
to, to regain perspective. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely right. And, and Josh, I love what you said about if there's not unity, there's never going to be um, hope. And, and if I can quote again from, from your podcast, uh, <laughs> at the end of episode three, John Mark says, we have to build bridges. True mm-hmm. justice and change can only come when a community is united. That's how healing can happen. I think that's so true. It's so, it's so true in any community, right? With any issue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I know church issues, church communities. There's no way that we can continue to do what God has called us to do if we're not united mm-hmm. as a body. And so there's no way that we as a community can right. move on if we're not first united as a community. I want to touch on another issue. Uh, I, I think Christians often lack grace, when it comes to situations of racism, you know, I've heard so many times uh, when these, when these individuals are, are unfortunately victims of, of racism and, and are ultimately killed. Well, the, the argument is, you know, he had prior arrests or, mm-hmm. or that person had a drug problem or, or that person was always in trouble with the law, but, but we forget that someone's past does not define their future. And that's mm-hmm. not my idea. That comes from the Bible, right? That, yeah. that our past is, has been forgiven and forgotten when we repent. And we are to show that same love and that same grace to others as Christians. So why do we hear these arguments from, from Christians and, and shouldn't grace inform us otherwise? Mm. Lord, absolutely. It, it's, it, it grieves my heart to see how we make snap judgments on the lives of others. And we, when a person is, is lost, when they lose their life, they're, they're cut off from the, from the opportunity to seek redemption at that point. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we should be doing everything in our power to make sure that as many people as possible have the chance to get redemption. That should be our mindset going going into these situations. So yeah, our pasts, we, we all have a checkered past in the eyes of God. And if we could become more Christ-like in, in that seeing everyone not only as fallen, but also as an opportunity to, to bridge the gap, uh, to, to bring someone else into the fold, to, to save another life, if we could start viewing things through that lens instead of, ah, oh, that, that was a criminal, they deserve to die. And even, I suppose I'll even speak for the, for the, to the secular audience potentially, even if that, if you, even if you don't believe any of that, uh, the extrajudicial killing of people is still certainly a massive, massive issue. And yeah, I'll toss it over to Josh too, because I can see you're chomping at the bit there. Oh, now I was just going to say that even from a, not even from a a religious aspect, like what were they doing at that time? Like, what is their, what they did 20 years ago, five years ago, have to do what was happening in that event? Like, you're not going to, you know, be judged like, oh, well, I did some research after meeting you. And I saw that two years ago, you were logged into Facebook at 5.05 PM. Like that has no bearance on the situation or whatever situation you're caught in. Um, uh, I don't know if that's really a strong argument, but I would say that uh, a counterfeit $20 bill uh, or whatever the alleged, you know, whatever allegedly George Floyd was being um, arrested for or, or oh, yeah. end up being murdered for does not equal the uh, what happened to him. Like, uh, uh, like there's, there's, there's the weights and the scales are not there yeah. 
for yeah. the for the crime that was allegedly committed a, a fake gun for Tamir Rice that I believe nine or between nine or 12 years old I can't remember how old he was does not equal the what ended up happening to him so either mm-hmm. there the weights and the scales are not balanced either way for what, what what the crime was or what the alleged crime was yeah and it's it's even with George Floyd specifically he was he was in custody and then in in while he was in custody, he was killed. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a, a gross, gross, uh, a, a gross failing of the officers. And, right. Because then he didn't get an opportunity to even go through the justice system. He didn't get an opportunity to get a lawyer. He didn't get any, he basically lost his rights. Like, I yeah. mean, he lost his life and he lost his rights um, yeah. for alleged counterfeit bill. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you're right. And Michael, I like what you said, and you were talking about uh, judicial punishment and, and even the death penalty. And I think um, we as Christians, we need to rethink our, our opinions. You know, we can't just go to the Republican Party's uh, website and read their platform and decide that that is our opinions. You know, and, and in the same thing, we can't go to the Democrat Party website, read their platform, decide that that is our opinions. We have to, um, in counsel with with the Bible, in counsel with God, in counsel with our pastors, our spiritual leaders. That's how we have Preach. to make our decisions. Um, yes. And, and I just I, I'm so glad we were able to to have this conversation and just share this this message. Um, so I want to move to um, a, kind of a new direction. Well, is it um, right if I say one thing in your last No, point? please, 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 yeah. Yeah, I had something to say, too. <laughs> oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't want to no, cut no, you guys it's, off. It's a, it's no, a, no. Topic, the, um, the death penalty. And there's a, there's a lot of nuance to have in that particular conversation. But, and very much in, in the Bible, there are, I think there's certainly precedent for a death penalty. And I also think there are absolutely crimes that are, are worthy of death. But under the new covenant and where we are now um, in, in, well, in history and as Christians, I think there, there's a strong case to be made where if the means are available, we should try to preserve life. Mm. Uh, and, and just if, if nothing else, just to give a person every possible opportunity to repent and to, to turn and to, to offer some form of hope. Mm. And Josh, I see again, you were, you had something fun. Oh, I, what I was going to jump off was what you said about, you know, going on the Republican or Democratic Party website and saying, that's what I believe. I think that's something dangerous. I've been noticing lately, a blending of, of Christianity with insert political party here. Mm. and Like basically like saying, you know, I only do this because from my perspective, the Democratic Party is helping people in need. Um, that, you know, filling that part of the, the scripture versus, you know, I'm on the Republican side. I see that they are pro-life and that they're defending um, constitution, which has biblical values. Therefore, I am a Republican versus like what you said, like, Lord, how should I be led? Because if if we are ingraining ourselves so much with either different political parties, what separates us from the world? Yeah. Like, we are not supposed to be exactly like the world. And I believe anyone that is, you know, blindly choosing whatever their party is doing without first seeking God, like, God, what do you want me to do? Not, not what 
so-and-so governor's telling me to do, I'm not talking about wearing masks and we're not going to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about specifically like, you know, biblical stuff, like, you know, Lord, how should I approach this? I think if we, if we truly, truly, because I've been challenged on some stuff, man, like Mm. God's been checking my heart on some stuff, even some stuff that I feel like I'm like gun ho about, but it's like, you know, hold up, hold up, son. Mm. You know, (laughs) what am I saying? Not what do you think? What am I saying? I'm like, true i've had to check my heart dude because it's so easy to fall (laughs) into either attacking either political side or finding yourself you know i'm i'm this and this alone it's so easy to slip into that yeah Um, and so staying in a position of of prayer and staying in a position of lord lead me guide me lord i need you like getting to that place is so crucial and i'm not saying that i've perfected it and that i'm there all the time because i'm not but i'm trying to and i'm trying to press towards the mark so Mm. that's what i want to say about that. that's good that's good and and i was talking to a a friend of mine a dear friend recently and and she had posted something on instagram and and then kind of small on the bottom she had typed something i don't think she really wanted everybody to see it but it just said Jesus would not be a Republican. And so I commented back to her and I said, you know, he wouldn't be a, a Democrat either. Yeah. And we, we were able to have a little conversation. I shared with her this idea that I heard from a pastor uh, about a lamb party, you know, mm-hmm. lamb. Jesus is, is the lamb of God. And so this pastor was encouraging his sheep uh, to not be a Democrat. Don't be a Republican, but but be a member of the lamb party and vote the way that Jesus would right. vote if he were here. Vote the way that 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 correlates with the Bible and that, that truth can be found in the way you vote. Oh, I'm so, sorry, I got to hop back in again. I gotta no, hop go back. ahead. <laughs> well, no, it's because you, you um, reminded me a conversation I had with another friend, actually, who had these two other friends who were in the church. And I think it was last election. Um, they were, they, they, they sought the Lord, they prayed, and they actually were told by God to vote for, for two different candidates. And mm. it wasn't who they were expecting. And it was interesting because ultimately it seemed to be, it was less so about the, the values and the issues each individual candidate stood for. And it was the hearts that God was trying to work on individually with those two people who were voting. It was, I want you to trust me uh, despite what you think, despite what you're trying to control in the world. Mm. I guess that just ties back in again to like, we believe in someone who is above it all. And mm-hmm. so, so many, so much of politics is motivated by fear. I've, it's been my observation. So much of politics is motivated by fear. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my rights or I'm afraid this is going to get destroyed, et cetera, et cetera. And again, as Christians, I don't think there's any place for that in our lives. Mm-hmm. We, we have nothing to fear. Like, like we can be strong Christians in America with all these wonderful freedoms we have, but we could also be strong Christians in say China where the church is horrifically persecuted. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, God is Lord overall. And we, we, we don't need to fear. And once we cut fear out, you'll, you can, uh, so much of our political cycle is motivated by fear. And if we can cut that out, I do think we can make, or, or will we in a better position to make more Christ-like decisions in our yeah. in society and in politics? Yeah, that's good. 
Well, we've drifted a little bit away from the, <laughs> the conversation of racism, but I think it's good. I think it's, it's needed and that's fine. So here's my next question. What do I, as a white Christian, need to hear from a black Christian? Good. <laughs> um, I, I think one thing I was talking about earlier of was, and you're talking about in relations to like, uh, you know, just different racial issues, right? Yeah. Just, just being a, a white person in America that is a Christian. And what do I need to hear from my black brothers and sisters who are, who are also Christians in America? We've had some struggles that we won't tell you about. Um, mm-hmm just different microaggressions, um, different things where you would be like the top dog at something and someone else who was white would still get chosen over you who was less qualified just in different situations. Um, That's mainly what I've seen in in my, I haven't had, um, you know, bad run-ins with police or anything. Um, But I'm telling you, if you talk to, uh, any sort of black person, you know, that probably more male, um, they would probably have some type of encounter encounter uh, with police that, you know, wasn't the greatest um, at Mm. some point. Um, So just because it doesn't make the news or just because it didn't end in someone dying doesn't mean that it's not still out there. And my voice is getting a little shaky just because, um, you know, I've seen it. I've seen the pain that comes from that. and the anger that comes from that and where that can lead. And so, um, you know, just truly like seek to understand, I think I wrote something uh, and I kind of touched on it earlier, but it's like, you know, recognize, uh, which comes from talking and and conversing, listen, um, change your behavior or view um, Mm. in a sense of just assuming this is how the world is when people's other people's experience may be different from yours. Pray before you speak. Um, wow. because our words are powerful and can start mm-hmm. fires. Um, mm-hmm. and that goes for me too. Like, I'm not just going to spit stuff at you and not really think about how you're feeling. Um, and then just take action in your community. Like, okay, I'm not, I can't do everything, but what's one thing that I can start doing in my community that can help? Cause mm-hmm. a lot of the issues in the black community, you know, are dealing with poverty and, and crime and it's, you know, there's a whole line of stuff that comes back from like redlining to um, there's a lot of stuff that comes from that. So it's not just like people are trying to stay in this place. This is the only place some people know. And so mm-hmm. helping them to see that there is a light that com- can come from Christ, mm-hmm. I think is super important. Uh, and the role that white Christians can play as well, not being the quote unquote white savior, but like, hey, I know a man whose name is Jesus. And this is the light and the hope that he can bring to you in your situation where you're at. There's hope in Christ. It's not me. It's not my works, but it's what Christ can do in you and through you. Mm. And I think that's super important. It's that needs to be communicated above all else. Yeah. Jesus is King, man. That's so good. I guess if I was to respond to that question too, I would start with people are hurting. There's, there's, a deep festering wound in the black community. So uh, I would say just listening and listening to people and acknowledging that there is in fact an issue. Mm -hmm. Because right now, I think as Christians, we're in a very 
her unique position at a critical point in our nation's history. And there's an entire community right now that is crying out in pain and looking for answers. And if we aren't willing to, to step up or to step in and bridge the gap, like they, they will find answers somewhere. So oh, that's good. We as the church need to, first of all, we need to come together in the church itself. Um, remember who the head of the church is and, mm. and seek unity amidst ourselves. And then we also need to do the same in our communities. And our community isn't just necessarily like your, your neighbors, your, your, the houses in your neighborhood. Yeah. Your community is like your friends on social media. It's yeah. Yeah. That's good. Years. And so it's, it's listening to people in the community. If someone starts going off one way or another, um, just saying, Hey, Hey, let's, let's, let's slow down. Let's be, I mean, if it's in a Christian community, let's like, let's be Christ-like. Let's try to correct ourselves. Let's not run off in all sorts of wild directions, saying things that don't honor Christ. Mm. And then um, outside the Christian community, let's try to model and show what being Christ-like is like and why that is the answer to all the issues we have in the nation and in the world right now. Mm. That is so good. And Michael, you've already touched on the church. I want to talk about that for a little bit, but I wanted to read um, from Ephesians chapter two. Uh, when I was in college, I, I did a whole study on, on a passage here, and it talks about um, the, the breaking down of the barrier that separates the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. Okay. And, and I know that, that it's not talking specifically about the, the barrier that divides uh, white Americans and black Americans, but I think it's just so uh, fitting for what we're talking about. So it says, um, in Christ Jesus, who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Mm. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body. God through the cross, by it having put on death the enmity, by, I'm sorry, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access to one spirit and one father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been put, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, uh-huh. in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God and the Spirit. I, I love this passage. It's, it's one of my mm-hmm. favorites, because I think if we look at the church in America, it's, it's almost more divided than the city streets. Right. I think if we look at the church, we can see just as much division as if we look at the news. If we look in in Portland, where we're seeing these instances of racism and of division, but if we just look in the church, 
I think we can we can find it even there. But the, the Bible says that that when Christ died on the cross, he he died once and once for all in order to take down this barrier and mm-hmm. to take down the barrier that divided the Jews and the Gentiles, the man and the woman, the the black and the white. He he broke down that barrier. Yet time and time again, I think it's the church who who puts Christ back on the cross when we build these barriers. Uh, and so I just wanted to ask you guys, what can we as a church do to make a difference for black Americans in our community? What can we do to, to accept, to rejoice in the finality of Christ's death on the cross in order to celebrate this dividing wall being taken down? Wow. That's, that's a lot, <laughs> um, man. Oh, first of all, uh, I love, I have highlighted in my Bible in, in verse 18 and now all of us can come to the father through the same Holy spirit because of right mm. crisis done for us. I think it's, that's good. It's saying for me, like in context of that scripture and what the question is, I think it's like, man, we're all believers. Like we're all mm. children of God. We're all, you know, uh, believers. Um, and so in this time of grieving, um, you know, the Bible says weep with those who weep, grieve with those who grieve. Like, Hey, we're yeah. with you. We under. But again, it, it starts with that reckon that recognizing the pain. Like, okay, I understand. I can see why they are in pain right now. You know, if we can't even go there and we jump to party rhetoric, then we can't even get to step two because mm-hmm. we're jumping over scripture and jumping to, well, you know, my party says this, you know. So I think it starts from recognizing where people are at, saying, hey. Uh, I think maybe even asking the question, have you felt that way in this church? Have you felt um, like an outsider uh, from not from a sense of just because you're maybe the only black person in the church, but like from a Mm -hmm. sense of like, are we excluding you from stuff or saying things around you um, that make you feel uncomfortable? Um, Let's talk through that. Cause I know of a lot of situations, people that I'm friends with have said, people have said some stuff I've been in situations too. People have said some stuff and for them, it's just saying stuff, but it's like, well, that's, mm. that's really low key racist. <laughs> like, like yeah. not like, not the sense of like, you know, uh, just calling everything out to call everything out and, you know, not the extreme of that, but like stuff mm. that's like really like insensitive, like, Hey, I just felt really uncomfortable when you said that. And I think creating that open conversation with that, yeah. I think it's wow, not only so good. I think it's not only a good HR practice, it's just a good human practice. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, like, you know, how did what I say, did that offend you? I apologize. You know, I'm sorry that I said that and I will do my best not to say that again. Mm. You know? Yeah. That's so good. I, I almost can't even imagine what that would look like in our churches because I think our <laughs> churches have, have not worked very hard at that, but just being able to say, man, what you just said was, that was, that was racist, man. You got to watch yourself on that. But yeah, but I just, and not even you know, a I, sense of like, just, you know, public fighting or stuff like that, but like, Hey, can I talk to you? Like, I guess as yes. leaders, as Christian leaders, like creating that space of like, I feel comfortable coming to you if I felt offended about something. Mm. Um, I think that's a good leadership practice. Um, I'm not saying I've perfected this as I'm some almighty wise guru leader. I'm just saying as a person that's been a follower, and as part of that's also done some leading, like for me, that puts me at ease and knows that I can trust you. Cause I think a big yeah. thing with the, with the black community is trust. Mm. And I trust that you actually care about me. And I'm not just a number number in your church. Wow. I'm not just a, uh, I've got to hit the quota of uh, diversity, you mm. know, 
am I am I truly appreciated for who I am and accepted for who I am as a as a fellow member of the body of Christ? Not putting my yeah. blackness above my Jesusness. Okay. Yeah. Like wow. we can't. I'm not. I'm not doing that because I think that's yeah. that is very dangerous too. When I put my blackness above Christ. But it's like, you know, recognizing that we are diff- part of different cultures. We have different, you know, we're different races for a reason. God made us different. And so mm. we're different. But it's like, in Christ, we are one. That's the key. Like I, like you said, that's the key. Like, above all else, you are a fellow believer of Christ. I'm going to do my best because you are from a different community, from a different perspective. I want to see things how you see them. And in turn, I hope you see things how I see things too. That way we can all come together and walk this thing out. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Michael, how can the church make a difference in black communities? Being Christ-like in all of our interactions, uh, seeking to be peacemakers in situations. Don't don't unnecessarily insert yourself into something if you don't need to, but Mm -hmm. if you're in a situation and there's an opportunity for you to be a peacemaker, uh, go for it. Um, Yeah. There were other things I said, my, my train of thought. <laughs> no, you're I think, good. Uh, I, I, really? <laughs> I was going to say, um, I know one thing I've heard from a couple people that are of the Caucasian persuasion, so to speak. Um, they felt like they couldn't really ask questions about um, what was going on um, during this time. Because a lot of people, I think a lot of black people are kind of like kind of tired of repeating things they're like hey go educate yourself you know Hmm. you know i don't have time for this you read a book um and i would say to them like hey this is an opportunity to actually help someone that wants to be educated on this obviously point them to resources but i mean share your experience and for um my caucasian friends like you know hey look at um you know ask those questions like hey well why do you guys feel this way about this what's something i don't is there something I don't know about the history of this? You know, mm-hmm. I think it's okay to ask questions. Feel free to hit me up, Josh Reels, Instagram, you know, ask. It's cool the conversations that can come from that because I'm having some really good conversations with people because they wanted to know, they wanted to understand. And I think just, I, I keep saying that, but, you know, start with listening, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. that, that's, that's so good. I think, I think you're really hitting it on the head as we just need to, and you said it earlier, we need to unite ourselves. You know, we can't be um, a, a church divided. We have to be a church united. And so when we have those relationships, when we care about our black brothers and sisters, when we ask questions, when we want to, to genuinely understand their culture, their personality, what, what makes them different, I think that's when we start to, to take steps forward is yeah. when we have that love um, that, that we talked about earlier. Well, I think that's going to be it for us. Uh, thank you guys so much. Where can people uh, listen to the miseducation of John Mark? All right. So it is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, all your major podcast platforms. Um, to get to the links for that, you can just go to whoisjohnmark.com. That's the easiest way to find everything. Awesome. Yes. Make sure you guys go listen to it. I think at this time, three episodes are available right now. And I know there's more to come. So guys, thank you for listening. Josh, Michael, thank you all so much for your time. Uh, I think this went longer than than I expected, but I just thank you so much for for spending this evening with us. Uh, Thank you. I've learned a lot. Uh, I hope those listening have have learned, but I'm just so grateful for the time we were able to spend together this evening. Thanks for having me. You were a fantastic host. Thank you. Yes, thank you.
recognize the pain, listen, change your behavior or views, pray before you speak, and then take action in your community. Aren't those powerful steps that Josh shared, steps that if taken by individuals, churches and communities will, I think, bring true transformation to our neighborhoods and country. So if you are still listening, thank you. I want to encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and family in an effort to continue the conversation on racism in America. As John Mark said in episode three of The Miseducation of John Mark, true justice and change can only come when a community is united. That's how healing can happen. My prayer is that healing will begin to happen and it starts in your life. I'm Nick Clay, and this is Culture and the Cross. Culture and the Cross is a part of the Grace River Podcast Network. Grace River Church exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives. If you would like to learn more about Grace River, listen to other podcasts in our network, or attend a service online, visit graceriverva.com.